talk about a very interesting book this morning, and I'm explain why it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And you know, you know, when you read something, you know, God has a purpose for each book. You know, sometimes you know God. Sometimes things happen in the Bible that actually some things that are good we like, we enjoy. It's very encouraging. But then there's some things in the Bible where it's actually dark and nasty. Me and Dubug was talking the other day. He said some parts of the Bible, uh, be honest, be almost rated PG or rated R almost for some, as, as today's society would put it. There's some things that are pretty dark. And, and you wonder why, why God allows certain dark elements in the Bible. You know, he had a purpose. He has a reason. So the book of Esther is one of those special books. Now, there's a lot of things that we're going to talk about. Other books in the Bible do explain, but this book really sets apart for a lot of reasons. Uh, before we get into the, uh, matter of fact, let's go into the passage. I want y'all to go to the book of Esther chapter, let me get away my paper. Oh, chapter four. And we'll be going to verse 13. I know, <laughs> Esther. Uh, 13. Uh, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 4, verse 13. Yep, yeah, I understand. <laughs> Make sure I got it right. When y'all dare, let me know. All right, we're going to start reading uh, verse 13. Then uh, Mordecai commanded to Esther, Think not when yourselves that you should escape the king's house more than all the Jews. For if you all gather hold your peace at this time, then shall their encourage and deliverance rise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house shall be destroyed. And who knows whatsoever you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, I'm going to lay a few things down before we get deeper into the book of Esther. You know, I'm kind of curious, and you know, I'm a curious type fella. And uh, I was wondering, you know, because Esther really, most people don't realize, we best know her as Esther, but really she had another name. She actually had two names. She actually had a Jewish name, and she had a Gentile name. And that's nothing really new, because you look, Moses had a Gentile name. The Moses is not Hebrew. You know, it, it came from the Egyptians, so it's not a Hebrew name. And there's a few people, Jews here and there, were actually named something else other than a Jewish name. So to me, that's not really surprising because most of them were, but a lot of them weren't. But she had two names. Her, really, her real name was Adasa, and it actually means she actually is named after a tree. She's named, it's called the maple tree, so she's after named after a tree. And it means peace and joy. That's what Hadassah means. So that I find that was pretty interesting. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it depends if the tree was a good-looking tree. I mean, if the tree was a uh, not-too-good-looking tree, that's not a good name to name somebody if the tree is not good-looking. But it's kind of like, you know, somebody see a rose, and they're like, hey, we're going to call our daughter Rose because the rose is beautiful, you know. So that's what I think where they probably got that from. 
And then her uh, Gentile name is a Persian name. It's called uh, Esther or Esther or Easter. That's where we get the word Easter from. It actually means star. And it also means the goddess Ashtar, uh, divine uh, divinity of love and fertility. So that's what Esther means. And so it's a love, it's a love goddess, pretty much. So she's named after really a goddess of love, pretty much. So I find that was pretty, pretty interesting. I did not know that. I mean, I knew a little bit here and there about Esther, but this is pretty interesting how you deepen that. Matter of fact, uh, if you go, uh, it's not around today, but if you go to museum, I think in Germany, they have a model of the Ishtar gate at Babylon. And so, and it has lions and has dragons and, you know, all kind of carvings on it. And it's called Ishtar's gate. It was actually, the gate was named after this divinity that she's named after. So I find this pretty interesting. So it was actually the second, when the Persians took over, it was actually the second state city, the biggest city in Babylon after Susa. We're going to hear about Susa, or we're going to hear the story about Susa a little bit. It was actually the Persian capital. They moved it, and now Babylon second. So now you might ask, why is the story of Esther so unique, and why she was so unique? Well, there's a lot of reasons, and I'll give two for sure. If you can understand these two parts of Esther, you pretty much got the whole story. One, the story I like is to riches to rags. And, of course, we love, that's why I don't understand why so much more Americans really don't like the story of Esther. But it's, just one, it's, kind of, it's one of those stories, a riches to rags type story. You know, she was a simple person. She was down to earth. She was probably, back then, they didn't have middle class. You know, it was just a super, super rich, and it was just the poor, you know, back in the day. It's not like it is today, and that's almost gone now, the middle class. But back in the day, that was how it was. So she was a peasant, probably a poor girl, you know, and she probably, you know, had her life all set out for her. You know, she said she was, you know, planned it all out, you know, hey, I'm going to, you know, settle down. I'm going to find a Jewish man, raise a family, and take care of my family, you know, she pretty much thought, you know, she probably never dreamed in her wildest dreams that she was going to be queen. I mean, you know, so she's just living her life, you know, she's, she's loving God, she loves her people, she's learning, you know, she goes to church, you know, she goes to Sunday school, she's learning, you know, all the great Jewish stories, you know, so she's just your average peasant woman, and God had other plans, though, for Esther, you know. And that's one of the things that is great about Esther. God took Esther. She was a, a, a peasant person. Nobody knew about her. And he took her and made a warrior pretty much out of her. He, she, he made her a great woman of God. You know, so it's, it's amazing how God can take the simplest people, you know, and he can do mighty things to them if they have faith, you know. And two, the reason why I like the story of Esther, and it's in other parts of the Bible as well, but the biggest part of it is divine providence. You know, if I looked at Google the other day, and divine providence actually means to, to guide or to control. So God, God is guiding, and God was controlling Esther through her, her situation. You know, if you look at the book of Esther, and I encourage you all, because I'm going to pretty much just tell the story like it is, you know, to kind of get the, the, get, you know, the time we got to stretch time a little bit, but we have a certain time, amount of time. I was going to do this anyway. I was going to explain the story to you as I go. But if you sit down and you read 
the story of Esther or get some movies on it and read it, you will find out that God is not mentioned throughout the whole book. And, and, most, and people wonder why, because if you look at other parts in the Bible, you know, he's, he has a name, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. But in Esther, he's silent his, of, of God. I mean, he's not silent per se, but he, he's, by him being in there, or the word of God, it's not in there. The reason why I believe God allowed this is because he kept his name out, because he wanted you to know that this was a behind-the-scenes God. You know, a God that was working behind the scenes, organizing things. It's kind of like, you know, the old movie Wizard of Oz. Don't look at that man behind the curtain, you know. <laughs> well, that's what, it, that's what the story of Esther is kind of like. It, he is the man behind the curtain type thing. And that's the image of this book. And that's the purpose of this book. God wants to show people, you know, just like Esther's, like us, you know, we don't, we don't see God. We don't s- smell God. We can't see God per se. But in the book, God was letting you know that he is still there. He's still working behind the scenes, and he's working to make something good in your life. You know, I was seeing a picture when I was young. I'll never forget it, that they had a beach. And uh, you didn't see nobody at the beach, but you saw footprints on the beach. And, the, and it read on top, it said, even you don't see God, his footprints are there. So that's what the story of Esther is about. It's about, you know, it's about you can't see him, but he has footprints. He has evidence that he's there, you know. And then, you know, and that's what I like about it. It's kind of like, you know, who plays checkers or or some of y'all play checkers in here? Well, anyway, but you know how checkers, yeah, well, you know how checkers is, you know, or uh, what's the other one I want to say? A chess, you know, you know, God is like that. You know, we're the board. And we're the chess, and God is putting us in places. And that's how the same thing it is. You know, God has a divine plan, a divine purpose, a mission for you to do. Now, I'm going to explain more things as we go along, but I hope you'll get it. I think it's pretty interesting what God showed me. But I'm again with the story. You know, it began with a king called Xerxes. Now, Xerxes, there's debate of who he was, but most people believe that he was actually the king or well, he was he was son to Darius. He's actually yeah, he was raised in royalty, pretty much, and he was actually related to Cyrus, Cyrus the Great, the one that actually allowed the Jews to go return back to their homeland. So he was actually the grandson of the third grandson of Cyrus the Great. Yeah, and Paul was like, yeah, yeah, really. And then what happened was he was raised in royalty, and there's some people say that he was actually, he was one of those rulers that he put his foot down. You know, I'm the king, and this is how it goes, pretty much, you know, almost like a dictator kind of speaking. And, uh, and tradition has it that he was really a tall man. He was really big in statue. They actually say he was actually above shoulder than everybody else. So that's pretty amazing. And then in the story, he gathers... The, the, the leaders from Providence, because back then when an empire or a kingdom, they had Providence. They had, you know, pieces of the kingdom, and they had governors that would rule over these Providence for the king. So to keep the kingdom intact and to show his appreciation to his governors or the people who was running, he invited them to a feast. They would do that, you know, and they had a feast. They were going at it, you know, a drinking party, you know. Drinks were on the house. The king, I mean, the king had plenty of food. I mean, he invited everybody. But then the problem was they got drunk. And when you get drunk, you do some stupid stuff when you're drunk. 
And they were like, they were all drunk. And the king decided, uh, you know, I want Vashti. You know, he was drunk. You know, I want Vashti to come up. <clears throat> you know, he was all drunk. You know, they're like, yes, bring in Vashti. And they were all drunk. <gasps> bring her in. You know, they were all drunk. And, you know, and <laughs> so, so the, the thing is, and they say, we call Vashti. The king, the king was like, you know, call her. And she returned it down. And the people was like, why would she turn it down? Because according to the law, if the king said something, you had to obey no matter what the circumstances was. And she was like, they, they wanted to portray her like a trophy. Like he wanted to brag from his guys and like, hey, I got the beautifulest girl in the world. And, and you know, almost portraying her like she was a horse or something, you know, like, you know, it's sad. But, but you know, and she was like, well, I'm not going to go in front of drunk men looking all de degrade myself like that. And then, of course, when the word got... Then the word got back that she refused. The king and all the men were getting word. They said, oh, wow, if she rebelling against us, then other women are going to rebel, you know, kind of like false religion and politics do anyway. Anytime anybody threatens their power or, or whatever, they get angry or they, they find ways to stop the resistance. They're like, man, she's going to make other women rise up against us, and, and we can't be a boss or a dictator over our wives if she don't listen to you. So, <laughs> so anyway, so God used that. Even it was wicked, it was, it was rude, it was, it was not right, but God still played the king. God still moved people to do his bidding. Because, you see, God wanted Vashti out because Esther could not get in there if Vashti was in there. So God knew what he was doing. God said, I got to take this woman out. So God used, sometimes God can use evil things to accomplish his goal sometimes. Even God is not evil, but he can still play it to, you know, like uh, I think it's in the book of Romans, Apostle said, you know, uh, all things work together for good to those that love God and call into his purpose. So sometimes God can use evil things to bring out a good result sometimes. So this would happen in this incident. So they kicked Vashti out. They said, well, you're not going to listen, and we're scared. going to have a woman uprising, so you're getting out of here. So she packed up her bags, and she went. But then now they have a problem. They're like, okay, we don't have a queen. I mean, we got to establish, we got to make sure our kingdom is strong, so we need a queen, you know, with the king. So they sent out letters to the people all over the, the city of Susa and all over the empire to bring as much women as they could. You know, they're going to have a, a, a pageant party or, you know, where women would come up and, and they were, like today, you know, you have a pageant thing where women would come up and they show, they get dressed and, you know, whoever's the prettiest wins the contest, you know. So that's what they were about to have. So they were getting everybody here and there and that's where Esther shows into the picture. Now she comes, you know, and this amazing thing, if you read the text, if you read, I was reading it yesterday, that it's amazing how, you know, yes, she was beautiful outward. I have no doubt that she was a beautiful woman. But I think the people around her and the king, I think there was something more than this that. I believe that it was not only her outward beauty that caught people's attention, but I believe it was her character. I believe she had something in her that she was different than the other Babylonian women. In other words, if she was like a modern-day Christian, she was serious about her faith and that's rare these days, finding a woman or a man who really loves God and say, you know, I forsake the world, you know, I reject the world, you know, I'm my, my whole committed commission is to Christ and him alone. That's rare. And that makes a person beautiful. That makes a person rare. And so that's why I think what happened with Esther. I think she was 
mature in her age. She might have been, we don't know. That's one of the speculations we just don't know. She might have been 18, 19, 20. We don't know what age these girls were. Back then they got married young, so we don't know what age she really was. But maybe she had a maturity about herself. Maybe she looked, she had a mind of a 30-year-old woman instead of an 18-year-old woman. You know, she was probably mature. And, you know, and she had, you know, kind of like Joseph. If you read the Bible, that's why one of the reasons why Jacob loved Joseph so much because the Bible said he was mature in his age, you know. He was not like his brothers or he was not like anyone else. He was mature. He had his mind developed right at a certain age. So some people do today and some people did back then. So I believe that it was her beauty within that also drove the king's attention. And, you know, and the king knew there was something different about Esther. You know, he knew that she was not like the other women. You know, it was something different about her. He couldn't put his button right on it then. He didn't know she was Jewish. But, like, man, there's something. That's why I believe he picked Esther. He was like, man, she looked like she's good for the job. And, and, and I believe that there's something different about her. I can't figure it out now. I don't know everything about her. But one day I might find out what makes her thick, what makes her, you know, I'm sorry, click. You know, what, 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 what she's about, what, what's her faith about. So, you know, that's a good, I think that's one of the reasons why she was chosen as well. And then so as the story goes, they're having this party, they're having this celebration. Then the king's life got threatened by two men who worked in the palace. They call it chambermen. We will call it eunuchs today. And we don't know their purpose of why they wanted to kill the king. They, the Bible don't really give a much detail why, but it could have been maybe they just didn't like his policies. Maybe he was just, you know, they didn't like the way he did taxes or something. We don't know. And or maybe they wanted to set up a new king, you know, somebody they figured they would have put on the throne that they can control. It, it's very hard to know back then of why they did what they did. But they wanted to kill the king. But Mordecai, you know, Esther's uncle that took her in, that was adopted, you know, he took her in. He heard about the plot. And so he told Esther, somehow he got the word to Esther, and Esther told the king, and they found out it was true that they were plotting against the king. So the reason why you're going to need to know about this is because later on this will come back later on into the story. But what happened was when you think things are going great for Esther and Mordecai a little bit, Haman comes along. Now, Haman, to explain Haman, He's a radical, powerful, hungry, grubbing man. Is that, that's the best way. You know, he reminds you of your, a lot of your politicians today. You know, his whole, he was a career politician. His whole gang was power. His whole gang was, you know, I have to be on top. I have to be the top dog. And I don't care who I kill or who I hurt. You know, it's me and I'm a race to the top. Kind of like the generation we have today. You know, it's all about me. You know, I'm the top. You know, I'm the, if I, if I have to hurt everybody else or, or knock other people down for me to get on top, I'll be on top. Haman was that type of individual. He was hungry, power grabbing, and he didn't care what he had to do or what means he had to do to get it. But somehow he buttered up the king and somehow he, he seconded unto command pretty much. So if the king died, he pretty much took over. It's kind of like a president or a vice president kind of situation. The day if the president dies, the vice president, you know, uh, takes over. It was kind of that situation. And, and the, you know, the law was that you had to bow down and, and pay homage. Now, Mordecai, he didn't. Now, why Mordecai didn't bow? You know, that's a kind of a question that most people ask. And I think one of the reasons why I don't think he bowed, well, 
two reasons. One, he was a Malachite, and the Jews and Malachites had some bad blood, so that's one of the reasons why I don't think. And number two, he knew the custom was when you bow down to a person, you almost will respect them like they were a god. See, people don't realize in the Persian culture, when you did a certain bowing or you did a certain gesture of the hand or if you did, you kissed your hand and you did like this, you were pretty much saying they're not mortal human beings. They're, they're not normal. They're gods, you know, or they're becoming god. And so kind of like what happened with Alexander the Great when he conquered Babylon, uh, the Persians had no problem doing this. You know, hey, we're, we honor Alexander as a god. But to the Greeks, they were like, a certain, a certain gesture was like, hey, you're becoming a god. And the Greeks were like, no, we honor only this to the gods. So most people believe that's what kind of similar what happened to Mordecai. He's like, well, I don't give glory to men as a god. I only worship God and my king. So he was telling Haman, you know, you're not a god. You know, you're a mortal human being, and I don't respect you. And another thing that I find amazing about Haman, he went against the law. Now, sometimes... There's some laws you must keep. Of course, if you're going, you know, you got to stop at a stop sign. That's a moral and just law. But sometimes some man-made laws are against God. And you, can, you don't have, according to the Bible, you don't have to follow those laws if they contradict God. And that he was not going to, his worship was to God alone. Because, you know, Haman and Mordecai was like, well, the reason why my people are in this mess while we are in Babylon, because we do worship gods and people like you. So he was not going to repeat that. And the thing was, you know, and, and Haman was not too happy. And another thing, too, he went against the culture of his day. You know, like right now, we have so many Christians, and that goes for us today. We have so many Christian denominations you know, they're giving in to the LGB community, and there's a lot of Christians and artists who are actually bound down to it. You know, there's so much Christians that are like, they're compromising, they're bound down to the world, to Haman, to the world system. And he stood up against the world system. He went against Haman. And so as believers, we're not to bow down to Haman. You know, we're not bow down and surrender our rights, you know, as Christians and what our moral standards and what we believe. So he stood up for his, his God and he stood up for moral beliefs like Daniel did and, and like Meshach and Abednego and the three Hebrew boys, like they did. You know, they didn't bow down when King Esther said, I mean, King Esther, uh, 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 Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, so, and they didn't bow down or they didn't have pure pressure to do what they wanted to do. They, they kept you know, their morals, and they kept the glory, they kept honoring God, no matter the consequences. And another thing, too, think about it. Haman, if we're going to read the story later on, or tell the story later on, Haman is not, he says, I'm just not going to kill Mordecai, I'm going to kill all the Jews. Now, you think about it, why would he do that, in a way? I mean, oh, if, he just, he, if he just had a grudge, or he just had something against Haman, all he had to do, he was a powerful man, all he had to do was hire a couple of guys, kill them in the uh, back of an alley, like most mobs or what they would do back then, and kill Haman. That would have been the, you know, Mordecai, you know, Mordecai, you know, just kill him. But why him and all the Jews? Well, there was a reason for that. One, he was a Malachite. And if you read in the book of uh, Samuel, God told King Saul, I want you to go and kill all the Malachites because they came against Israel back in the day of Exodus. 
And God was angry at them because they were killing innocent people. They were killing people who couldn't follow behind or whatever the situation was. So God was angry at the Malachites for abusing the people of God. But Saul, when God told Saul, go and kill them all, he didn't quite do what he was supposed to do. So tradition has it that he, when he killed the king, his wife, his, they spared his queen a wife, that's what they say, and she fled to Babylon, a modern-day Babylon. And most people believe this is where he came from. So instead of him doing the job he was supposed to do, years later, it would come to backfire on his own people, the Benjamites, because King Saul was a Benjamite. And another thing, too, he had a grudge, you know, and, and Mordecai, uh, Haman had a grudge against them for that. And another thing, too, Satan was behind it because Satan knew the prophecy. See, Satan don't know every prophecy or he don't know. He knows some or he knows enough. But, of course, he don't know everything about it because God don't give him the ability to know everything about it. But he knows enough to know what's going on. He can see in, into the future and the spirit world what's going on. You see... Satan knew the prophecy back in the Garden of Eden when God said, you know, because what you did to Adam and Eve, because you deceived them and, and made them fall, there'll be one who will come to make all things right. In other words, speaking, yeah, I will bruise the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of the serpent. So Satan knew that there will be a man who will come from the tribe of Israel, come from Judah or from the Jewish people, and he knew that he would actually crush him on the day of the crucifixion. So Satan knew that. So Satan figured, if I can get rid of all the Jews, Benjamin, mostly Judah or any of them, I can stop this from coming. So Satan had a big agenda as well, using Haman's revenge and, 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 and using that to push his agenda. So that's one, I think, the biggest reasons why. It's kind of like what happened in the, the Holocaust. You see, Satan was behind that too, Yes, Jesus came and, and the prophecy fulfilled, but there was more prophecies to be fulfilled with Israel. Satan knew if he can rise a Hitler, that was very similar to Haman. He said, if I can kill all the Jews, he said, I could prevent prophecy from being fulfilled. And if all the Jews are dead, I, I, the devil can say, well, God can't keep his word. God can't keep his promise. And so there's a lot of agenda why this genocide situation was going on then and now uh, during World War II. There's a big purpose for what happened. So anyway, the story goes, Haman has a grudge. He went to the king. He said, well, king, there's people in your kingdom. They're, 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 they don't want to honor us and our laws. And, and you know, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're going to fight us. They're going to take over us or whatever, whatever he, whatever stuff he was, baloney he was feeding to the king. And of course, the king said, sure, I mean, I want to save my kingdom and get rid of these people. He said, I even pay for it. So he gave him his ring. And, and back then when the king gave you a ring, that was very powerful. It was an ink. Oh, not an ink, but it's, a, it's kind of like a zap type thing. Yeah. And you put it and you had an initial. And that was the king's initial. And that was the powerful thing you could ever have. You know, even if the king didn't say nothing, you had the power of the king to say something. So he went to the astronomers, and he's like, which is the day where I can kill these Jews? And they told him a certain day and, and everything, and then he got together. He says, I, I'm going I'm to kill the Jews. This is, my, this is my plan. You know, I finally got what I want. I'm going to get my revenge. 
I'm going to get my revenge for my people, and I'm also going to revenge for what uh, Mordecai didn't bow down to me. So he got the word spread out all over that they were going to kill the Jews. And, you know, it looked hopeless. You know, I mean, look at the Jewish people's perspective. I mean, it's hopeless. They have no army. I mean, they, they look like all things was going to end. You know, it's the same thing kind of with us. You know, sometimes, you know, we outgunned, we outnumbered, and we think, you know, we have no hope. But, you know, God is looking and God's going to make hope. So what happened was Mordecai heard the word. So they put sackcloth and ashes back then. That was a sign of repentance or mourning, one of the two. And they were mourning. And, they, and Esther didn't know a clue what was going on. Remember, she was Jewish, but the court did not know she was Jewish, or the king did not know she was Jewish. So she's hearing all the noises outside, and Mordecai is by the gate, and he's there mostly every time. And all of a sudden, he's not been there for weeks and probably months. And she hears this noise throughout the city of Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire, and she's like, what is going on? What are these mornings and what's going on? So she sends her servants out there and she finds out Haman's plan. Mordecai gives her a letter and he says that, you know, our people are going to be destroyed. And if we read from the scriptures earlier, he says pretty much if you don't do what God called you to do, God has a plan for you, Esther. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And this is what you were bought the palace to do. You know, God, there could have been a millions of other women that could have took your spot. But God knocked them out. He knocked Nash, he knocked the queen, the first queen out. He knocked all those other women, and he put you in. You, you, you know, you're not by luck. You know, a lot of people think, you know, as Christians, we think, well, we have things by luck. No, it's by divine providence. You know, there's nothing luck when you're a Christian. God places things. God puts things in order. He puts people in, and he takes people out if that makes any sense. So in this case, he's letting her know, this is your purpose. This is what God called you to do. And if you're fighting against that, you know, you're going to be destroyed. And if you don't feel your purpose, you know, you're fighting against God. And you're, you're going you're gonna to be a, you know, a weak individual or you're going to be a, a really, uh, how can I the word I can say, depressed individual because you're not doing what God told her to do. So she got the message. She says, you know, we're going to all get together. She said, we're going to have a revival. And we're all going to get together. We're all going to pray. And, and we're going to see God. You know, so that's sometimes when you're facing the enemy, that's the best thing to do. You know, a lot of Christians sometimes, they just take their weapons and they go fight. But sometimes you got to prepare yourself for the battle before, you, before you, you go to battle. And so that's what they did. And then finally the day came. She says, you know what? I'm going to see the king. She, she, she dyed herself up. You know, she fixed up her hair. She put makeup on. She was ready to go see the king. And, you know... A few things I want to say before I go on. Esther was in a bubble. You see, Esther didn't know what was going on. She was in the palace, or she thought she was secure, and, and the, or maybe she thought she was. And the, Mordecai was like, you're not secure, Esther, because you think you're in the queen's, you think you're in the palace, don't think you're going to escape. So she maybe had that security thought, well, because I'm queen, nobody can harm me. And he was letting her know, don't let your guard down, because you're not going to escape. And she didn't know what was going on. She was isolated. She was so much into the, to, to the court, and she was so much into the, that she lost touch with her people in the world around her. So same thing like us Christians. Sometimes we're in a bubble, and sometimes we don't know what's going on around us because we're so much in the Christian bubble, you know, that we don't realize what's going on out there. So if that makes any sense. But anyway, and, you know, I was thinking of something the other day. 
you know, when Esther was going towards the court, you know, I was wondering what she was thinking. You know, you know, I'm sure that there was a spiritual warfare that was going on in her mind. You know how you have the cartoons where the devil's on this side and you got an angel or God on this side? Well, it kind of made me wonder that's what maybe was going on. Maybe on one side of her ear, one side she was hearing voices. You know, she was probably hearing the devil talk to her and, and, and the people, her people who surrounded her, you know, her, her, her maids and, and, you know, her concubines and all the people that were around her, you know, Esther, what if you're doing this all for vain? What if you're like, you know, what if you go in front of the king and you die? And, and what if you don't accomplish nothing? You know, after all, you're going over, I mean, the greatest king on the, and that day he was the greatest monarch of the day. He was the greatest king in the world, you know? So what makes you think that you're going to make it? You know, and what if it's all for vain what you did? You know, probably Satan was playing that in her mind, you know, that Esther, this, you, you know, you can return back now. It's never too late. You know, you could turn out. Think about it. He vanished, Queen Vashti. What makes you think you're going to make it? You know, and you might be even worse. At least she was called when she was vanished. You were not called. So according to the law, you should be headed. You should be dead. And then at the same time, I believe on this side, she heard two voices. I believe she heard, she kept hearing Mordecai's voice. You know, God has brought you for such a time as this. God brought you for such a time as this. And I think that's one of the things that encouraged her. And I think one of the biggest things I believe that encouraged her was that she probably remembered the stories of old. She remembered how when God came through for David, when David was outnumbered, outgunned, and Israel was outnumbered, outgunned by the Philistines, better weapons, bigger, probably, well, I don't know about bigger army, but more better army than Israel. They were outgunned, outnumbered, and the, by God's providence, by supernatural means, David killed the giant. And she probably also remembered Samson, you know, and Samson, one man, you know, killed a thousand men with the help of God, killed a thousand men by himself. And then maybe she remembered the story of Moses. You know, with one man, with the help of God and divine providence as a supernatural invention, destroyed a whole Egyptian army and destroyed a whole nation. One man, with the help of God, with two men, Aaron and, you know, Aaron and Moses. But is this the idea? I wonder if those things came to her mind that encouraged her. You know, maybe she saw even her husband, even the court of the king. She probably saw it as a Goliath situation. Or maybe she saw it as a, a, a Philistine situation, and she remembered all those things. And maybe she thought, maybe if God did those things for them, for my ancestors, maybe God might come through for me. So that's just something to kind of think about. You know, of course, the Bible don't give a detail on what was going at that time through her mind and stuff. It just says she went to the court, but I'm pretty sure she had a big battle in her mind, you know, that was going on while she was going to see the court. But anyway... God gives her favor. You know, the court, when she walked in the court, everybody thought, man, she's done. Like, she's finished. You know, she, she's a dead geese. You know, she's, done, she's gone. You know, it's the last time we seen Queen Esther that somehow God just moved on that king's heart. And I think it's in Proverbs when it says, the Lord moves upon the king's heart. He moves it where he wishes. So I think God supernaturally went in places where Esther couldn't go, and God touched that king's heart. You know, and I'm pretty sure when he saw her, he's like, hey, I should have called you a long time ago. Where have you been, you know? You know, I'm sure, you know, he, somehow God touched that king's heart. And he says, you know, and 
That king was not stupid. That king, you know, he put out his gold, you know, his scepter, his golden scepter, where that's a sermon in itself. That means God's grace. He, like he gave Esther grace. God, Jesus Christ will give us grace, you know, to that like we don't get killed by the spiritual Hamans. But anyway, and the king was, like I said, was a very smart man. He knew something was, I think something was up. He's like, why would this queen would risk her life? There got to be a reason. She knows the court. She knows the laws. Why she would risk her life? And he probably knew. That's why he asked her, so what is your request? And he says, I even give you half of my kingdom. Now, that's not a bad deal either. But anyway, and pretty much what he told her, I'm going to give you half of my kingdom. I'm going to split in the middle. You can have one part of my kingdom, and you can have one. That's not a bad deal. But anyway, but she's like, no, that's not necessary. She says, I want you to come to the banquet. And this is what's curious. She, out of all those people in that court, that room, she said, I want Haman. So the, the king was kind of maybe thinking, hmm, something, something's probably up. But hey, I'll play along. Okay, well, let's go. And one thing you got to realize, there's an old saying, the way to win a man's heart is through his stomach. So Esther was very, 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 yeah, she was very smart. She said, well, if I'm, a, I'm already beautiful, I got his attention, but I'm going to give him some food, and now he's really going to come. Yeah, he's really going to come now. So it worked. So she, they, had, they had a banquet. Bo Haman was all happy. Bo Haman was on top of the world, you know. He's like, man, I'm going to get rid of my enemies, you know. I'm, I'm moving on up. Was that song by the Jeffersons? I'm moving on up. You know, that was his favorite song. Yeah. <laughs> he, he said, I'm moving on up. I'm, I'm, hey, nobody's, no, I'm, I'm invincible. Yeah, everything's going according to plan. You know, like most wicked people, they lay wicked plans and like, hey, I'm getting away with it. You know, I mean, I'm invincible. Nobody's attacking me. You know, uh, you know, everything's going great. Everything's going according to plan. So they went, they ate, and the king was like, do you, what's your request? She said, well, come for another supper, another dinner. Then I will give you my request. Boy, and she invited Haman again. Boy, Haman was on top of the world again. Haman, oh, man, he was all happy. Oh, man. Oh, he, he had to rush to go tell his wife. He had to go brag. He said, oh, the queen invited me to, for another feast. I'm moving on up. You know, moving on up. <laughs> right, he, he was moving on up. He's like, man, the things are going great. But he said, boy, with all this, this wonderful success I'm having, that, that Mordecai, boy, I mean, he just gets on my nerves. You know, he, he yeah, he, he gets underneath my skin. He, he gives me the imajimis, you know. He, you know, like, like we say in French when it's cold, he gives me the, uh, the croissant, uh, the, the, the frissons. Man, every time I see him, man, he just, he gives me the diarrhea every time I see him. <laughs> he does, man, he just, he, he just gets to me. I mean, I can't stand that dude. <laughs> but then his wife... You know, he's bad enough. And then she, this is Coella DeVille right here. I mean, she, 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 she gives him advice. She said, you know, things are going great, but I want you to be really happy. You know, you should go outside, build a gallows, a hanging noose, about 70 feet high, and go build that, you know, so you can execute, you know, Mor uh, Mordecai. Uh, you know, Mordecai. Oh, he said, oh, boy, this is great. I, I wish I could come to you more, wife. You have some great ideas. So he did that, you know, they were the, he gave the order, he paid the guys, you can hear the hammers going, tack, 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 and they got the, 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 the saws going, you know, they're going at it, you know, the screwdrivers are going, vroom, they, they're billing, you know, but uh, somebody wasn't sleeping, though, 
You, you see, Haman thought he was getting away, but he didn't know that Esther and them had a, an extra help behind the scenes. You know, the Bible says, I think in Psalms, I think, it says that God's eyes go through and fro through the whole earth. That means he's watching. He's watching what is good. He's watching what's evil. So God was looking, and God said, I got a plan. So happens the king couldn't sleep that night. And I think God did that on purpose. You know, God made him unagitated, or God made it where he couldn't sleep. So he told, it's, it's comical, but at the same time, he told one of the guys, he said, bring the articles of the kingdom in. That's like writings. Uh, like if you read in the Bible, you got First and Second Chronicles. That's like people writing what the king did in his battles or the history of the kingdom and his kingdom. And so he says, bring that in because I need to sleep. So in other words, it's boring, and I know it's going to put me to sleep. Yeah. That's what he thought anyway. God had other plans. It's kind of like, you know, uh, what's that music that makes you sleep? Uh, opera or, or, you know, yeah, that stuff makes you sleep. If you have a hard time sleeping, just put, op just put opera music on or, or put something like that. That'll, it'll, trust me, that'll, that'll, you, most of you driving, you better make sure you got something because it'll make you go to sleep quick. So that's what his thing was. He's like, I need to sleep. Bring the boring you know, politics stuff in here, you know? So the guy's opening, he's reading it. And then he comes to the point where Mordecai saves the king's life. And as he's reading, he says, hold on for a second, hold on for a second. He says, read that again. He says, well, Mordecai saved the life of the king and so on and so on. He says, did we ever thank the man for what he did? He's like, nope. You know, that's a lesson with us. Sometimes we do things good and sometimes most people don't notice you know you, you put your heart into your, your company or you you know you put your heart into people or you do things and sometimes you don't get noticed and you're like I mean I did what was right I didn't you know why I'm not getting noticed for it and I don't know if he was looking for that Haman or, or you know I'm sorry Mordecai but the king was like we're gonna honor him but he says I know a smart man who can tell me how can I do it so the next morning, he calls for Haman, and they come, oh, the king wants you. Oh, his head's already big. Oh, he, he, I mean, he probably couldn't his head, you know, he could fit his head through that door. He's, oh, and the king asked me by name. Oh, that was a big deal back in the day. So he thought, moving on up. <laughs> he thought he was going good. So he went to the king, and the king says, how can I, or other words, I'm going to say it the way, the English version, the way we do it. How can I honor a man who helped me with my life? Pretty much that's what he meant through the text. And Haman's like, oh boy, if I'm going to get glory, I'm going to make sure it's going to be, I'm going to look good. You know, so he said, you know, yeah, he said, he said, uh, he said uh, well, get the horse, the king's horse, the best horse he got, the one the king rides now, not just any horse, the one the king rides. And we'll put a crown, put a crown on his head and put royal robes on him. So he was like pretty much saying, if I'm going to get promoted, I want to look good. <laughs> yeah, it was all about him. He was like, I'm going to make sure I look good. It's kind of like, it kind of like if, uh, kind of like your boss gave you a, a big promotion. You know, give me a long car and give me a tuxedo, you know. Maybe if I'm going to look good in glory, I want to look good. And he, all that, he thought it was for him. And then... A bomb, what a bummer, and a bomb hit him. The king says, yeah, 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 that's a good idea. Do that for Mordecai, the Jew. <laughs> yeah, and he says, oh, by the way, you're going to lead him. Oh, Lord. 
So, <laughs> so then he said, you're going to parade him around the city with everybody can watch. Oh, Lord, he, he, he fell low. <laughs> 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 he, he, he was moving on up then. And, and, and one day he was coming down. And so he was going around the city and he, poor him. And, you know, he was struggling. <laughs> he was not hollering either. He was like, the king wishes to honor. And somebody in the crowd, Laura Heyman, speak up. The king wishes to honor. You know, he was having a hard time. <laughs> yeah. And then the Bible said he was low. Boy, he had his head down. He was walking through his house. Everybody said, hey, Heyman, how's it going? It's going all right. It's fine. You know, you know he, he had a rough day. You know, pretty much if his arms were longer, he'd probably be dragging them to the dust. Uh, he, he, was, he was low, and he went to his family. He, he was depressed. He was like, he told his wife, you know, what happened. And pretty much what she told him, she's like, you better quit. In, 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 in modern terms, like, hey, you better quit because you keep doing this, you're going to get destroyed. He, his own wicked wife was like, uh, you better pull on the brakes on this. I think you're going a little too far now. Nothing good going to come out. That's bad when a wicked person got to tell you to quit. But sadly, he did not do it. He did not listen to his wife. He did not listen to anybody. He could have repented. He could have, you know, he could have said, you know, it's evil what I've done. You know, I'm going to go to the king, and I'm going to go to Mordecai. I'm going to make things right. But no, with his pride, yeah, with his pride and with his vengeance, he still kept going with it. But then he got a knock on the door. He, he was down, but he's about to move on up again. The, 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 the guys come for the queen and says, hey, have you forgot? Uh, the queen invited you to her second, her second meal, you know. Boy, he, he was all picked up. He was all low. Now he's, he's yeah, he was all up again. You know, his chest was all up, and he was all walking, you know. He, like, I'm it now. You know, he looked like a, uh, what's, those, what's those birds? Uh, a peacock, yeah. He looked like a peacock. He was all happy, boy. He said, I, I was down the mountain, now I'm back up again, you know. <laughs> and then he went there, and, you know, they were having a party. You know, I can kind of, you know, I got a good imagination. I hope y'all forgive me, but, you know, <laughs> I can imagine him sitting on a, you know, on a, on a sofa type thing and, and they got a bunch of women behind him, Persian women dancing behind him. And he probably had a lady probably feeding grapes. You know, he's opened his mouth, and she probably just feeding grapes to him. And there probably was a man with six-packs abs. You know, he was probably fanning, fanning him, you know. And he probably was living, man, he was living it up. He said he was down. Now he's back on top again. Well, Haman thought, I got this. That's what he thought. <laughs> but what happened was... The king said, Queen, what's your petition? And she said, he said, even to the half of my kingdom, I'll give you half of my kingdom. And she says, other words, I don't want none of that. I want my life. The king's like, your life? What are you talking about? She said, me and my people. And he's like, your people? <laughs> he said, well, I'm Jewish. And somebody wants to kill me and my people. They want to get rid of us off the face of the earth. And, of course, the king got upset. You know, he loved Esther, you know. And he's like, who would dare attack my woman? Who would dare... <laughs> who, who would dare attack my honey poo, my, my woman of the night, my queen of the Nile? Who would dare kill my woman? Who is this jerk? Where is he? <laughs> and she pointed that finger. Him, that evil man over there. He did it. Him. Haman. 
Boy, can you, can you see Haman's mouth? <laughs> and all the, the dancing women, they moved quick. Everybody moved out the way. <laughs> it was a party. The party went down quick. <laughs> and he still opened his mouth, hit him like, oh, my God, what, what happened here? So the king was all upset, so he had to go cool off. He left. He had to go cool off a little while. And then to make things worse, when the king was gone, he was pleading for his life. And he meant well. He was going to plead for his life. But he grabbed the queen by the legs. She was sitting down. And he was like, please save me. But I didn't know. And, you know, he's crying. You know, he, you know, he's begging for his life. Then the king comes in. And he's like, what is this? Not only you threaten to kill her and threaten to kill people, but you pass, you're making a move on her. You're passing on her. You're making a pass on my woman. So... <laughs> Things weren't going too good. And he was moving on up, but he goes, he's going back down. And he kind of looked like, I don't know if you ever saw the Looney Tunes, he kind of looked like that cat on Sylvester, like, oh, no. <laughs> and then the Bible said that they took a sheet over his head. Pretty much that was a sign, like, you're done, dude. You're finished. You, you are moving on up. Now you, you're going down quick. They knew it. And then... Some uh, tattletelling, somebody who's a tattleteller came and says, you know, we saw him building that, that thing outside, that thing he, was, he planned to hang uh, Haman on, Mordecai. He said he's going to play, hang Mordecai on. The king said, really? Well, we're going to hang him on that. So there's a lesson through that, though. He created his own evil monster, and they came back to bite him. Every time when people do that, every time when people make evil devices, it's going to backfire on you, you know? And you, th you think of all the men through history, like Hitler and Mussolini and all these guys in history, they thought, man, for a good while, they were getting away with it. They were winning wars. The allies weren't fighting or telling them nothing. They thought, hey, we're invincible. We got this. And then in the end, their own evil design backfired on them. So never think. You know, people are getting away with it. One way or another, there's, there's a payday coming. And so that's what he did. He, he forged his own debt. He created an evil monster that came to bite him back. So the story goes, Haman's dead. But even if Haman is dead, the decree that he made against the Jews of the law still went into effect. So the Jews were still not out of the waters yet, even he's dead. So what happened was, Mordecai was raised up in Haman's position and... Uh, and they were like, hey, how are we going to protect the Jews? How are we going to fight against back this law? Because you couldn't change the law. Even the king could not change the law. That's how powerful the law was. It was above the king. So the king could say, hey, I don't like that law, and I'll get rid of it. It was not that simple like that. So they came up with a new law. They said, we're going to make the Jews, not make them, but we're going to let the Jews defend themselves, give them weapons, and fight against the people that Haman said to go to attack and plunder them. So they got their weapons together, and by the grace of God, they beat the enemies. They, 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 they stopped the, uh, the uh, you know, the, um, the, what's the word I want to say? Uh, yeah, the, um, there's a word I want to say, uh, to slaughter people. Uh, uh, you know, they, he, he stopped, they stopped the genocide. They stopped, you know, the genocide by doing that. And so then what happened was Esther and them were so happy that God delivered them they made a feast day. And matter of fact, it's still today in the Jewish custom. It's called, um, it's, no, not Yom Kippur. It's, um, uh, I read it yesterday. Uh, 
uh, it was a Jewish holiday that was made to honor for the loss they had did. Supreme, it was called, the year of supreme. And it was a Jewish holiday, like to remind everyone that this was the day that our joy, we had sorrow, but we had joy. We were all weeping, we were all crying, and then the next, we thought our world was gone. Now this holiday reminds us how we came against all odds and we lived as a people. So it's still actually celebrated today. And it's the same thing with us Christians. You know, we had, you know, before many of y'all weren't saved, you know, y'all were in control by Haman, y'all controlled by the devil. Y'all were controlled, you know, y'all had no, you had no joy. Y'all were about to be doomed to hell until Jesus came and saved us. So, so that was, and then through Esther, Christ came about. And all the great apostles, even Apostle Paul, I mean, he came from the tribe of Benjamin. He wrote 80, 70% of the New Testament. So through the action Esther did, saved Israel, and by that, saved us, pretty much speaking. So... Mm -hmm.